Hello and welcome to the Incremental Gains podcast. Today's episode, I had the pleasure of talking to Martin Cohen of Martin Cohen Nutrition. I was really interested in gut health and bacteria and we really delved into some of the details and the difference between probiotics, prebiotics, things that are good for gut health, how the gut works and the actual gastrointestinal system. Martin was really good at breaking it all down and making it quite simple for us to understand. I really enjoyed talking to him and I hope you do too. Please subscribe on all our platforms on social media and subscribe to the newsletter in the link in the show notes. Thank you. start barking so I might have to let her out into the garden so she's done it on every podcast so far so there's no reason why she shouldn't make an appearance today (laughs) (laughs) right Martin so we're recording there um again I appreciate your time coming on this morning and talking to us how's how's things uh yeah yeah yeah, grand as good as it can can be at the minute uh yeah sun's, sun's disappeared and uh I don't really have to get my pajamas too much, so you know, not all, not all bad. <laughs> have you been coping with the uh, the lockdown and the recent lifting of restrictions? Has that affected you at all? Um, yeah, I, I guess, I guess, same as a lot of people, ups and downs. I think, I think initially, I was, I was in my element. I loved it. Yeah, a lot, all, that, all that pressure we seem to put on ourselves seemed to have just instantly lifted. Not having to go out and, you know, to achieve. You know, there's like external factors that we uh, like to take on. Um, but I've seems to have found a little bit more of a, you know, a state of balance. There was, there was yeah. a big dip, a dip halfway through, and now I just feel like I've, I've re, re, resurfaced a little bit. And <laughs> <laughs> it was a bit different for me, actually, because I had initially, when it first all started, I was a little bit, my mind was dancing to the future and thinking of all sorts of thoughts and what was going to happen. So I had a little bit of sort of stress and anxiety around it. And then after about two weeks... I kind of just like that became my new normal. I adapted to it quite quickly. Do you know what I mean? Mm. So now I think when we do start back work and, and start going back to our, our normal lives, you have to I'll have to start make doing with change again, trying to handle another new normal. So <laughs> Yeah, I know, yeah. And um I think I think I think for me I'm gonna be trying to continue working a bit more like I have been doing. You know, so I've, I've still been seeing a lot of all my all my clients and doing some of the other work I do just just doing it from home yeah and just just in terms of of efficiency it's just it's, an, it's quite a nice nice way to work yeah However, I think of, without the human contact element which is um yeah shame massive I know I, know. I put um, a post out on Instagram yesterday I also run a jiu-jitsu academy um and it is like a, a massive part of our human need isn't it to have contact and obviously now that that's frowned upon almost and not acceptable so um yeah. yeah looking forward to getting back grabbing people and <laughs> people around and stuff so <laughs> I, I, I was trying i was trying to i remember hearing this thing a while ago about sort of the, the flu pandemic that you know that we went through years yeah. ago um i'm not sure even even sure what year it was was it sort of the early early 20th century i think so yeah and even previous pandemics how that's given it the the british people this more standoffish mm-hmm. attitude. You know how we're kind of seen, you know, stereotypically quite a cold nation. Yeah. You know, some, some, like even like historical social distancing is maybe 
led to these more you know uh, social yeah, social yeah. changes as well so it'll be interesting to see how this and um, whether people are going to be like running back into each other's arms or whether we're going to be like whoa yeah whoa, yeah, whoa. yeah but we'll find out this weekend when the uh, the pubs and the bars open uh, yeah we'll see i know interesting so um for people who are, who are going to be listening to this or watching us um could you just tell us a little bit about what it is that you do and how you got into it yeah um so when i when i've listened to, to other practitioners speak they've always been on a the thing that got them into their their role as a as a nutritional therapist was their own health journey you know maybe they were they were sick or they had a like a close like a, maybe a child that was ill mm-hmm. and that led them down the, the road of maybe not feeling that conventional medicine was was helpful for them so they've gone to retrain for me I, it wasn't my own health challenge that really brought me to it or really the challenges of people around yeah. me so I was kind of doing the exact opposite of this for about eight years. So I was a, I was a full-time musician. I was, in a, I was in a rock band from when I was oh, cool. 18. So I was on about 20, 26, I think I was doing it. Fortunate, fortunate enough to be doing it full-time. Oh, nice. Um, and then that kind of just came to an end. Yeah. As, as things do. And we kind of, yeah, kind of almost the band I was in kind of like spat out at the end of this whole major label strange record industry thing so i was kind of trying to decide what to do next and i had a had an interest in nutrition i remember Mm -hmm. being interested in biology at school and started reading books about nutrition about diet about health in general right and realized all the different books had so much contradictory information in you know, it's hard to understand what's useful and what's not yeah somebody's trying to sell the vegan diet somebody's telling you to go paleo and you know the, the, the modern world's stressful enough. You don't need to be worrying about food, you know, that, that much. <laughs> yeah. uh, so, I mean, it, it, at that time as well, I now started sort of experimenting with myself, you know, changing my diet, getting better sleep. Yeah. Really trying to address those, you know, those foundations, you know, those, mm-hmm. those foundational pillars of, of, of good health. And what sort of things did you start to introduce then for, to improve the sleep and the, the health? You know, not drinking. Yeah, it's a massive one. Yeah, and, and, and it's, it's not. It's, sometimes we can be looking for this magic pill, or or the magic diet, you know. And, it, and it's, mm-hmm. it's really about trying to trying to make gradual gradual improvement. So, really, I, I think for me, focusing on sleep was made a bigger improvement to my overall feeling of you know wellness, you know, yeah. mental and physical, more than changing my diet. But what I kind of found was that as soon as my, slip, as soon as my diet started slipping, everything else started slipping. Yeah. You know, so if we're getting amazing sleep, it's very unlikely that we're going to be eating rubbish as well. You know, so... People have a, an idea that if they, if they have a drink before bed, it'll help them sleep better. But am I right in saying that alcohol is just a sedative, isn't it? You're sedated, you're not actually asleep properly. So. Yeah, yeah, I mean, it's the, yeah, a very different type of type yeah. of sleep, and like, and even I am quite sensitive to alcohol, so even even one drink affects my sleep, and I'll and I'll sort of feel the knock on effects of that for sort of three three yeah. days. So it's not not necessarily for me the like the the the, the worry about other health conditions as a result of drinking. It's just it makes me feel rubbish. Mm-hmm. you know mm-hmm. so so that, that that's reason enough not to, for, for me at least not to not to yeah, do it cause so are you teetotal now you don't drink at all um everything but you know all but teetotal so maybe one or two drinks every few months yeah 
but like I'm not I'm not rushing back to the pub this weekend for sure so yeah we're the same I, I enjoy a drink and that but I'm, I'm, it'll be like one or two bottles during the week and I have drank more during this lockdown to be honest I'll be, I'll be honest with you but uh, in general yeah it's one or, one or two bottles during the week with me with me bottles of lager not bottles of wine or anything <laughs> <laughs> bottles of lager with me tea but um, I have noticed through drinking a little bit more during the lockdown that it, it, it has affected me sleep and then like you said that has a knock-on effect the rest of the day doesn't it then exactly yeah and, and, it, and it starts to impact actually how we process food even if we are eating a healthier food it's going to have an impact mm-hmm. on how we regulate our blood sugar right. so, like, so, so blood sugar regulation is really one of the key um the the key factors to try and modulate and, and keep in a balanced state for you know for over overall health yeah um yeah with with alcohol as well i mean i'm not i'm not sure if there's specific questions you want to kick things off with but even with even with alcohol, kind of going, i want to really try and get into into gut health to be honest if that's okay but i'm fine to carry on with the alcohol yeah no, but but it, everyone won't it, so yeah but i mean, I mean even kind of trying to relate the alcohol back to back to gut health i mean when we're when we're talking about alcohol i guess it's not it's not all equal you know mm. there's, there's different types of alcohol that are going to have a different effect um, even the quantity as well so even maybe starting with the quantity so there's there's research indicating that the amount you drink is actually going to have a start start to have a negative impact on the gut lining right so when we talk about the gut there's lots of different if, maybe if we start with a bit of like gut 101 like the physiology yeah. like what's what's going yeah, so on what is included like. in the gut when we say gut what are we talking about yeah so if we start with the, the digestive system is everything from the mouth Bum. It's that it's that long and winding passage. Oh, I lost, no, you're back. I thought I lost you for a second. So it's this long and winding passage that we like to um, separate into different sections and call all different types of wonderful and fancy names. Yeah. But really, it's, it's just a it's just a hollow tube that runs from one end to the other. Um, we really used to you know primarily think okay we put food in we absorb what we need from it and we get rid of all the waste. Now, everything mm-hmm. that come out comes out the other end is. It's just it's just waste product, um, but really there's a lot of other processes that are going on within there. So primarily when we're talking about the gut, we're talking about the large intestine. So the the, the last section of the bowel, the colon, and mm-hmm. this is where we see the highest amounts of these beneficial microorganisms that are within us. So we're we're, we're covered in bacteria. You know they're on every every surface of our body, but it's through the digestive system where we really start to insist the increased numbers is that what people refer to the microbiome we have them in the mouth. yeah so so a, a, a microbiome is a collection of bacteria so okay. we have the we have the oral microbiome so in the mouth we have the skin microbiome the lung microbiome oh, right, and, then, okay. and, and then the gut microbiome so yeah so the large the large intestine yeah and we've really evolved with these bacteria so a hand-in-hand symbiotic relationship, and we've really relied on them as much as they rely on us. We give them a nice roof over their head, a nice cozy, <laughs> damp, smelly environment to live in, which they love. Right. Uh, and we've also got to feed them the right foods. Mm-hmm. We give them that, and then in exchange, they give us a lot of benefits. Right. So they, right. they start to help to regulate the immune system, carry anti-inflammatory properties, they're there also to help digest food, in particular 
carbohydrates, so non-fermentable so carbohydrates. Okay, and okay. it's this ferment, fermentation process that is happening in our gut, which is giving a lot of these beneficial compounds. Right. A lot, a lot of these compounds also go into circulation. So if we're thinking about even the current, current pandemic, there's interesting research on how what is going on in our gut is affecting our lung health. Right. Yeah, how, okay. how molecules we're releasing from the gut can actually travel, stimulate um, the bone marrow to produce more immune modulating compounds, as well as traveling directly to the lungs where they can just start to regulate the, the immune and inflammatory uh, environment in the lungs as well. Which is so it's fair to say that it's, it's a pretty integral organ. It, it, it affects quite a little bit in our body then, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I think, I think that, um, definitely with, within conventional medicine, within the NHS, they're really like, are fantastic. This is, I'm not, not starting to go down that road of bad-mouthing, <laughs> but we can start to, to see where we are being divided into component parts. Okay, you've got a gut issue, you go to this person. You've got a blood sugar issue, you go to this person. You've got cancer, you go to see this person. But we're, we're kind of one big soup. You know, right. our, all these different compounds are traveling through the body in a very interrelated way. Um, and what is happening in the gut is starting to have impacts all, all throughout, throughout the body. Mm -hmm. Not just because it's where we absorb food, but because of this interaction between the bacteria the food and the host right. so the bacteria kind of the middleman okay the food the food comes in the bacteria do some stuff to it and then that actually goes to to is put to use within within the human body right so how do we how do we look to keep that environment healthy for this this bacteria then yeah how do we <laughs> <laughs> So well, when I mean, this is this is the interesting thing because when when the research in the microbiome or the gut microbiome, we're really trying to figure out what a healthy microbiome looks like, right. because it, it could be argued that in the in the Western world, nobody has a healthy microbiome. Just the evolution and what we now eat and the processing yeah. and all that kind of stuff. Yeah. Like that. So so when they when they try and figure out how well when they look at humans who are living on Earth now that are living the same way that humans have spent most of the time on the earth. They start looking at hunter-gatherer tribes. Yeah. So in particular, there's a, there's a tribe in East Africa called the Hadza tribe. And they've nipped over there, collected some of their poo, started having a look at it. And even when they're looking at different tribal groups around the world, they don't really see the same type of bacteria. So right. we're, not, we're not necessarily looking to have X amount of, of bacteria of, of certain categories. This key bacteria that we want to see but the main indicator of overall gut health is the diversity of the bacteria. Right, yeah. So that, that basically means you want a really nice broad array of bacteria. This is important because it helps to keep the gut very resilient. And this is kind of a key word. And I think I only came, really came across this word about six months ago, but it seems to be used quite a lot at the moment. It's the buzzword at the moment, isn't it? It is, isn't it? Yeah, I kind of, kind of um, jumped on the bandwagon. <laughs> <laughs> Don't worry, we've so, used it a lot in these episodes that I've been doing in every in every conversation. Yeah, <laughs> yeah. So it's it's probably probably it's been used in the same same way when we're thinking about the gut. You know, so as I just used the word, it's about how the gut 
the, the more resilient the gut is, the more it's able to cope with environmental stresses mm-hmm. and the more able it is to, to bounce back. Right. When, when we're talking about diversity, we want a lot of different bacteria to be having crossover in their actions. So one area, for example, is sort of hormone detoxification. So bacteria are responsible for hormone detoxification, potentially to a similar level that the, the liver is. There's a huge metabolic action, that in detox, an action of detoxification that the gut bacteria take on. Right. So say we've got two, two groups of bacteria and they've got this crossover effect. They, they, this group do digestion, this group do hormone detoxification. But in the middle, there's a crossover where they both are responsible for, say, mood regulation. Yeah. As soon as we start seeing less diversity, these groups start shrinking. So this, this redundancy that we've had of this crossover, we start to lose that. So we start to see this dwindling microbiome, which right. is less able and less resilient. I was going to bring that up a bit later on, really. I was going to touch on, I only found out recently that a lot of, our, is it, a lot of the serotonin is produced in the gut, isn't it? So literally, what you eat will affect your mood. And when we talk about mental health, diet i mean it might sound like an obvious thing to say but diet will affect how you feel yeah exactly yeah i mean a lot within in the gut we've got two we kind of call it the second brain so it's got its own its own nervous system it's got its own brain and it's made I'll, I'll, sorry to interrupt you martin al um have we always referred to it as a second brain or is that something that's started to be aware of now that there is so much going on in our gut system and, and digestional tract that it's now understood to be like a second brain in our body is that something new or is that something that we've always really really known about uh i'm not i'm not sure to be honest i think i think you know when when they were when they were doing autopsies etc they would have been aware that there were the same same right, nerves okay. that were lining lining the gut so there is literally the same the same neurons in the gut than we than we see in the brain so this oh, really? help, wow. helps it to, helps it to regulate itself without having to communicate back up so it kind of runs off its own steam to some extent oh, really? Wow. Um, some cultures call it the first brain. Now, <laughs> how, how, how often do we feel it in our gut before we yeah, actually yeah. clock it? You know, before we clock it. Yeah, I never thought of like, that. Yeah, I have a gut feeling. That's what we refer yeah, to. Yeah, 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 yeah. Ah, interesting. And, and this is, you know, I think, I think most of the people I work with in clinic have digestive issues and things like IBS, uh, inflammatory bowel diseases, and there's a huge emotional strain on the system as well mm-hmm. you know obviously any sort of health health issue is going to make have an impact yeah but we're really starting to see that it's actually the imbalances in the gut that are leading to these imbalances in the brain so we can get we can get into a vicious cycle of where stress can actually imbalance the gut mm-hmm. the gut gets to a state of of an imbalance and then that can feed back into the brain as well Right. So we, there's definitely a vicious cycle that, that can take place. And it's very common for people to start seeing these things after a course of antibiotics. You know, even right. that digestive issue starting after a course of antibiotics, but extreme anxiety and, and, and low mood also as a, as a consequence of. of that would be um, because the, the antibiotics are destroying the, the good bacteria in the gut. Is that what's happening? Yeah, kind of, exactly. Kind of, yeah. 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 I mean, even to go back, I mean, just to kind of talk about like how, how we've, we've evolved you know, from these, when we're looking at these old hunter-gatherer tribes and they've got these really diverse bacteria. 
you know, since, since the agricultural revolution, we've started to see all these, um, our diversity being chipped away. Right. You know, we've, in, instead of having a, this, this life where we were really in touch with, uh, with nature and having a really varied diet, we've gone more to monocropping. Okay, so instantly mm-hmm. we've, seen a, we've seen a reduction in the diversity. Yeah. Industrial revolution, more pollution in the environment. That's going to start having a negative impact. Living in more sanitized environments as well, overcleaning. Yeah. Antibiotics. <laughs> Other medications as well that are commonly used, proton pump inhibitors, so for things like heartburn. Yeah. They're handed out quite, quite readily and they have a, an impact. But then cesarean sections. So our first, what, we, we, we get some bacteria through the, as in, in use as we're developing. But really, the first full-on inoculation of bacteria is as we pass out of the birth canal. Yeah. So is there if, much if, studies that I've, I've kind of read a few, not in detail, obviously, because I'm not that academic, but I've read a few kind of studies that that would go towards proving that children who are born of cesarean section maybe might um, have like allergies more often as they as they grow up, or they may have certain autoimmune deficiency diseases. Is that is that what the, the studies are showing and what what we know? Yeah. Yeah, yeah, definitely. So there's, I think it's about twenty percent increase in rates of atopic conditions. Right. So asthma, eczema in particular. Yeah. But there seems to be a critical window of around eighteen months to two years where a lot of this development happens. So even the interesting studies where people, infants were brought up on a farm mm-hmm. during during these first you know, years of life, and they had reduced episodes or. Um, risk of these atopic conditions a low a low risk sorry. a lower risk yeah oh, because they're because their immune system's being trained i suppose it's, it's because like they're, they're messing around in mud aren't they and they're in the soil and the all of the hair bales moving everything around and getting these little bacteria on the hands and stuff and is that making yeah, yeah, like yeah. a is that making them immune is that helping it's training the immune system yeah yeah i mean when if you if you're if you're wrestling you mean well your immune system wants something to engage with yeah and it's ready to go. That's what it's expecting. Our, yeah, our, yeah. Our, our internal biology can't see outwards. Right. So we, need to, we need to send it the right signals. Yeah. You know, you know, environmental signals, emotional signals, nutritional signals. So all, all of these inputs, all of these senses that we've got, aren't just impacting us on an emotional level, but going deeper onto a, onto a biological level. Yeah. But they also see if, if infants aren't born, brought up on a farm and then they're reintroduced to a farm at a later stage, that doesn't impact the... Oh, right. So the, they're, they're still at a lower... If, if, it, it doesn't change the risk. Yeah. So but there it's is that, that crucial, window. There's there a crucial window. window yeah. There, yeah. But even, even like the, the, there was an interesting study where they were looking at what the parents were washing up with. Mm-hmm. Like even like if, if they were reusing the same sponge for ages, that reduced the risk of these conditions right. as well rather than just over sanitizing <laughs> and, how, and how many adverts are you know, still on tv about sprays that kill 99.9 percent of bacteria you know we've got so what's your what do you think about like rich. obviously with the with the pandemic and the coronavirus and that we're told to be constantly cleaning surfaces wiping things down washing our hands to reduce the risk of this virus but really i mean it could have adverse effects maybe years down the line that we are so sanitized and clean. It could have, could make it even worse, couldn't it? Yeah, maybe. 
yeah, over, over sanitization. Yeah. And again, we're starting to break down these barriers, you know, these protective barriers that we've got, whether it is the skin or the gut, and that starts to have sort of a impacts on the immune system as well. Yeah. Um, I always joke with me uh, with my wife because she she says that I'm very rarely ill, and um, I used to I won't mention the names like, but I used to work in a place that wasn't very well cleaned it wasn't cleaned very often and the kitchen was absolutely disgusting and we used to cook in this kitchen and i've probably got a lot of like i don't know immune to all the bad bacteria probably going on inside fighting against me <laughs> yeah 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 it's probably it's like, it sounds like the origin story of some sort of superhero but in reality we're all going to come into contact with this virus Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think it's, it's not it's not going to disappear, um, you know, really until there's the, the vaccine comes along. But there's so much we can do to to help support the immune system through through what we eat. Right. Do you want to go into, can you go into a bit of detail about some of those things? That would be dead helpful to people. Uh. Yeah, yeah, of course. So when when we're talking about like the the digestive system, there's can separate the separate it into different sections. So in the, in the top half, we've got the mouth, the esophagus, and the stomach. Mm-hmm. So this is the mechanical breakdown, chewing, digestive enzymes start working away, and then the stomach really starts is a very acidic environment. So this still this starts to regulate the whole of the digestive process. Right. In in the small intestine, this is where we start absorbing most of the vitamins and minerals from the food. So most of the nutrition we we want from the food gets absorbed in the in the small intestine. When we're thinking about how the human diet has evolved it's the western diet which is going to start predisposing us to a less healthful state all the grains so, and things like that and process yeah. processed grains in particular yeah. so it's, it's the processing of food we want to think about the processing being the removal of something primarily it's fiber right. and we used to really think about fiber as something just to help us go to the toilet Mm-hmm. It's got a lot, a lot of other roles. One of the ways this is going to have an impact is that this fiber is really what feeds the bacteria. Right. So if we, if we take something like lentils as an example, there's vitamins and minerals in there. We're going to absorb those in the small intestine. Humans don't have the digestive enzymes to break down this remaining fiber. So call it fiber, we can call it fermentable carbohydrates. There's another word which is prebiotic fiber as well. Right, yeah. So if we, if we think about the bacteria, we call those the probiotics. It's the prebiotics, which is essentially the food for the bacteria. All right, sorry, explain that again then. So what's the difference between a probiotic and a prebiotic? Yeah, so the, the probiotics are essentially the bacteria. Okay. So they, these have, a, I guess, a fairly strict definition, but in this, in this context, we'll just call them the bacteria we've got in our, right. in our gut. The, the beneficial organisms. Yeah. Prebiotics are the food for the bacteria. Okay. So the, the, the prebiotics are the fibers that we'll get from food that we can't digest, but are the food for our microbiome. Right. So when you so, see pre and so when you see probiotics and prebiotics in health shops, how do we know what which one we should be kind of buying? Is it should we be buying the bacteria or the food for the bacteria? How would we know? Yeah. So we, we, when, we, when we're thinking about trying to build, I know really, we're going all over the place here, sorry, but it's no, just no, when, no, you, no. when you come up with something. I want to ask you a question about this. So. 
I'll get to that. Let me go down this way and I'll, I'll come back around to that one. Yeah, um, so we go, as we go down and we're feeding these bacteria, the range of fiber in our diet, the different types of fiber in our diet, the more diverse the diet is, that's mm -hmm. going to lead to a more diverse microbiome. Okay, so yeah. the fibers are going to play a big role. So these are particularly going to be things like lentils, beans, garlic, onions, leeks, Jerusalem artichokes. Right. So there's, there's quite a long list of these fermentable fibers, but we're really wanting to get a, a good variety of foods in. A good rule of thumb is aiming aim for 40 different plant foods a week. Okay, right. so if, if, that, if, that's, if that's... Some people might not be too from, far from that. Other people we could have a little bit of a kick up the ass to, to get to that but it, it's the same thing it's the same thing with the modern world we can be really used to going to the supermarket and buying the same thing over and yeah. over again so, we're definitely guilty of that the same meals sort of each night of the week just for convenience yeah. they might be considered healthier but not necessarily varied do you know what i mean yeah and, go, and going back to i guess evolution we would have eaten with the seasons we wouldn't have been exposed to these same foods over and over again day after day and this yeah. this can potentially lead to other intolerances also if we're exposed to the same thing all the time right so variety is really important herbs and spices come into this as well and they're often mm -hmm. quite under underutilized but getting a really nice selection of of herbs and spices will contribute to that 40 different plant foods yeah. per week colors as well you know the different pigments that we find in foods the purples the oranges the reds yeah, or, that's or, another way I've heard it referred to. Like a very diet is a simple way for people to sort of start to introduce that is just make your plate colourful. Yeah, eat the rainbow. Yeah, yeah. I mean, it, it doesn't rainbow. sound. Yeah, yeah, it's good. Yeah, yeah. It, it doesn't sound very scientific, but I think we are catching up with yeah, the the research onto why to why it is helpful. Yeah, and again, all of these colours they're called polyphenols, so these types of bright pigments. These also have different, start to stimulate different groups of bacteria as well. Mm. So we could call them prebiotic-like foods. So that they're having a, a general encouraging growth. So diversity, the diversity of the diet is going to lead to a more diverse microbiome. Yeah. Okay. So when we're thinking about the bacteria that we've got, we really want to feed the ones that we've got. There's two groups of bacteria in our digestive system. There's the residential ones. These are the ones that live here yeah. since birth that we've acquired through the maternal biome for earth, from early life exposure. So these are the residential ones. We also eat and consume bacteria through food. So fermented foods. So things like fermented cabbage, like sauerkraut, fermented yeah. milk, like kefir. These are bacteria that we'll eat. Same as probiotic capsules as well. They're transient they pass through us maybe only last about 20 days right okay so there's there's two groups and i think there's this idea that we've got this sort this jar of bacteria which is our gut and as soon as we're running low we'll just take some pills and it'll top it back oh, up again yeah. yeah yeah but what we really want to do is actually encourage the growth of all these different types of species of bacteria which is going to diversify microbiome okay i see i get you so yeah. prebiotics powders can be very helpful so if there's there's things like inulin inulin fos galacto oligosaccharides there's quite a, a broad range of, of different types of, of prebiotics 
So these can be helpful for digestive issues. They can be helpful also in mood regulation as well. There's some interesting research on how it's it's, it's the prebiotics that can have this more systemic effect on um, this this effect more on regulating the gut-brain axis and and how these prebiotics, the prebiotics are feeding the bacteria and then the bacteria release these really good compounds that head off, head off out of the gut and into, and into the rest of the body. So one, there was one researcher who, um, all his work is based on the microbiome. And we used to just think if you had an upset tummy, you'd feel it. Okay. You know, you can really locate, I've got a digestive issue that I can locate it to this pipe. Right. digestive issues so what he says is you know the gut isn't like las vegas you know, there's that saying you know what happens in vegas stays in vegas yeah <laughs> but the gut, the gut isn't like that you know what happens in the gut you know it has it has for good or bad you know consequences elsewhere in the body yeah it's kind of um like i mean the body's such an amazing thing but going the, the, the idea you just spoke about there it's kind of like when we talk about mobility and flexibility issues and if someone's got a bad back what happens in the back doesn't stay in the back. Sometimes it could be because of you've got bad knees or bad hip flexion or bad ankle dexterity that could affect lower back pain. So it's the similar thing what you're talking about, isn't it? Oh yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. And, that, and, that, and that's something that I work a lot of work on a lot in clinic with people. You know, if, if they're coming in with digestive issues, the, the digestive dysfunction might actually be stemming from somewhere else. Right. And how easy is that to, how easy is that to locate then? It depends. It, is. it depends. So, I mean, there's an, if we're thinking about something like IBS, which is really an interesting diagnosis, once all other diagnosable conditions have really been ruled out, people are often left with a, a diagnosis of IBS, right. which some, some might say is a lack of a diagnosis. You know, we, we don't really know what's going on. Therefore, this is what we've got, is. This, we've got this collection of symptoms. Yeah. And there was, there was a paper last year where it was discussing contributing factors to digestive issues. And the research, I think, highlighted 17 different areas that can be starting to have a knock-on effect and either occur in isolation or start to accumulate and then lead to digestive dysfunction. Right. Simple things like carbohydrate intolerances, you know, so, th- so things like lactose, fructose, found in lots of common foods, those are going to start leading to digestive issues in susceptible people. Vitamin D deficiency. Again, thinking about how vitamin D regulates the immune system. Right, so getting out, getting out in the sun, that's vitamin D, isn't it? Yeah, Yeah. well, if it, where, where, not, much, not much of it at the moment, yeah. You're in, are you in uh, Manchester? Yeah, I am, yeah, you. Uh, Merseyside, St. Helens, okay. so in between, in between Liverpool and Manchester, but okay, yeah. the weather's pretty similar. <laughs> So get, get it, get it when you can, but even when it's cloudy, you know, we're still going to be getting a little bit. So, yeah. you know, skin, skin exposure is, is key for that. Um, That's another thing that I didn't, I didn't even associate that with the, the gut and affecting the, the gut flora and all that. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, it is a fascinating area, <laughs> <laughs> but, but it's, it's all, it's also interesting to figure out, you know, what, what are the interventions that we can do? You know, I, I'd like, for me, you can get really stuck down the, 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 the tunnel of research and start learning about all these very specific bacteria and the roles that they have. Yeah. But commonly, you know, we need to just go back to basics. 
you know, and, and set those firm foundations up. You know, are we are we getting a really nice variety of colourful fruits and vegetables in the diet? Mm-hmm. Are we are we balancing our stress levels? Yeah. So we know we know elevations in cortisol start increasing inflammation in the gut, start opening up the gut lining to lead to things like leaky gut. Right. And once things start leaking into circulation, that's when we start seeing more symptoms appear outside of the digestive system. So can we can we go into detail a little bit about some of the conditions then? So you've already mentioned um, IBS, irritable bowel syndrome, leaky gut. Uh, briefly, because there's probably you could probably talk on these for like hours, but briefly, what what are them conditions? What's happening inside? So the conditions sort of outside of the gut that can be linked back to imbalances. Uh, just I just want to explain what them conditions are. What's happening when them conditions are taking place? In in the ones I mentioned already. Yeah. So IBS yeah. and leaky leaky gut. Yeah. So with with IBS, it's um, there can be there can be a lot of things. I mean, that that paper I mentioned, you know, goes into into I think exactly seventeen different contributing factors that right. can go into it. So I think I think this is where the what I do as a nutritional therapist is a slightly different approach to what you would get from a GP, where you would go in for a fifteen minute consult with your GP, try these pills, let me know. Yeah. But I work with, with people over a few months to really just try and tease out which of these are the most relevant. Yeah. There's other testing that can be done to look into the different types of bacteria. There can be overgrowths of bacteria in the small intestine. So as we go down, the levels of bacteria are increasing. So right. in the small intestine, we're only meant to have a certain amount. But this can actually increase due, due to a number of reasons underactive thyroid, low immune functioning, medication. So the, again, it's another, it's another little segment of what can be contributing to IBS. Right, okay. With this condition, it's called small intestinal bacterial overgrowth. We can start seeing, it's been very associated with things like chronic fatigue syndrome. Right. So how our energy is being produced, how we're absorbing lots of vitamins and minerals because the absorption is limited in the small intestine because of this overgrowth. Oh, right. yeah. It starts damage to the, to the villi, you know, to these little fingers that stick out around the, around the gut lining that are really important for absorbing yeah. nutrients, but also producing digestive enzymes. So there's, it's, it's a, it's a really, there. <laughs> there's, there's a lot going on. So with, with those conditions, you know, that, that is a really, it's like, a, it's like a series of Russian dolls. You know, you be kind of you have to unpack it, and it's yeah, it's, yeah, it's yeah. yeah. Um, but then we start seeing things like non-alcoholic fatty liver disease. You know how imbalances in the gut can lead to this fermentation of, of and we end up sort of producing our own alcohol, which can then start leading to these these conditions where we see increased fat deposition in the liver. Yeah, yeah. That we could, you know, would, would have historically seen in people who were just having a very high alcohol consumption, but that can start impacting the liver. Yeah, and that, that fermentation process is just going on inside the body. Yeah, so so we, when, when we're talking about fermentation, generally we, it, we see it as a beneficial thing. You know, we, we want there to be a lot of fermentation of these prebiotic fibres. Mm-hmm. So these foods that we we will want a good a good amount of fermentation to be happening. To produce these compounds that the bacteria release yeah. but depending on the balance of these microorganisms 
we can start seeing less beneficial compounds being released. Right, okay. Yeah. That can start damaging the gut lining. That can start opening up the gut lining. So is that where you would where... get leaky gut then? Is that when that would start leaking out of that? Yeah, yeah. I mean, I, I'm not sure if I'm a fan of the, the diagnosis, leaky gut syndrome. You know, but when we, there are a number of areas that we see where the gut becomes more permeable. Right. There are there, there are there are potentially benefits to it opening up and then closing. You can start to engage the immune system a little bit more mm-hmm. if there's an, if there's an invader. But it's this chronic activation, and we start getting little bits of um, bacterial cell wall that leaks from the gut into the circulation, and it's a compound which is called LPS. Can we swear on this? Gosh, can you? Yeah. yeah, I had a uh, so, so the yeah. last. One of the last podcasts that's just gone out, I had uh, Johnny Barber, who's the owner of the Barber Barber Men's Salons. Okay. He's an Irish guy from Limerick, and uh, he was swearing his head off all the way through. Right. So. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, so they, these things have got LPS, which stands for lipopolysaccharide, but essentially it's a little piece of shit, the LPS. Right, yeah. And, and, it, and it start can go, that goes into general circulation and starts to have a more pro-inflammatory response. So is that a sugar? That's a sugar in it, a saccharide. Yeah, so it's, it's a cell wall. So it's part right. of the bacterial cell, cell wall, which is, um, as, it, as it's moving into general circulation, that's where it starts to have its, right. its negative consequences. We see that in studies when they've just injected people with LPS, they get what we call sickness syndrome. Okay. So everything that we associate with feeling ill, tired, low mood yeah just you know just sick we want, we want down, to take yeah. We, want, yeah. Yeah, we want to take ourselves away so this compound even being taken straight into circulation is going to give these other symptoms mm-hmm. and this is this is where it, you know this is um, we can unpack different diagnoses and if, someone's, if someone's got a broken leg it's a very clear diagnosis okay you've fallen yeah. your leg's broken that is what has happened with something like low mood or anxiety, maybe it's not about thinking about that as a diagnosis, but it's a sign that something else is going on. Yeah, definitely. Now, what 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 is the imbalance, and how do we how do we start to start to support that? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Even kind of going back to serotonin in the gut, the, the precursor to serotonin is a com, is an amino acid called tryptophan, and it's this which is converted into serotonin. In cases where there's increased inflammation, that tryptophan gets diverted somewhere else. Yeah. So we're not actually able to produce that same amount of, of serotonin, which is going to help regulate mood. Yeah. So a lot of it comes back to inflammation, and that's one that's one of the key roles of the of the microbiome. Mm-hmm. Lots so of when we, when you talk about inflammation, would because I mean it might sound like an obvious thing to say, but having a, a high sugar content in your diet, having a lot of sugar, highly processed sugar, that can lead towards this inflammation, can't it? Yeah, it can. Yeah, so there's, there's different types of inflammation. You know, if, you, if you have an injury, your elbow's going to swell. And that's, that's a, it's a beneficial response. You know, we, we do want inflammation. We, yeah. we, want, we want there to be an appropriate amount of inflammation to deal with that, with that acute issue. Mm-hmm. It's when it turns into a chronic inflammation. And off, often in the gut, if somebody's diet is more leaning towards the Western diet, 
that is starting to change the environment in the gut. Right. We're not getting a lot of these prebiotic fibers. So when we've taken all the fiber out and we've refined the food, white breads, white flour, everything, you know, all the, all the white stuff, yeah, yeah. essentially, all that gets absorbed straight away, straight into the small intestine, and there's nothing to go further down. So the bacteria in, are in the large intestine, just kind of like waiting for this drop of prebiotics. Yeah, yeah. And, and, it, and it doesn't happen. So that starts to change the pH in the colon. Right. We want the pH in the colon to be slightly more acidic. Mm-hmm. That helps to regulate the environment. Right. So for the colon to be really nice and acidic, we need there to be prebiotics. Okay. If we're not getting those prebiotics, we get more of a neutral pH, which allows less beneficial bacteria to grow. And then they can start influencing a more pro-inflammatory environment also. Right, okay. Does that have anything, I'm just literally connected two things here, which may not even be connected. But um, I've been doing quite a little bit of breath work recently. Mm. Uh, looking at the Wim Hof, looking at um, but- butaco breath work and stuff like that, nasal breathing. Because when these breathing exercises, I don't know if you know a lot about it anyway, but it's about making the, the body alkaline and reducing the acidity. Does that have anything to do with the, the gut? Would that affect the gut in any way? Um, I'm, not sure, no, I'm, not, I'm not sure of any studies as such. But when we're talking about pH, you know, there's the different areas of the body, we want them to be different pHs. All right, so there wouldn't be necessarily one. It doesn't have to be, the whole body has to be alkaline or the whole body would be acidic. Exactly, yeah. yeah. So we, 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 when we're talking about more about an alkalizing diet, that is actually, an alkalizing diet is actually going to make the gut more acidic. Right. Which is a kind of, bit of yeah. a contradiction. <laughs> but, but, we, but we want the gut to be a slightly more acidic pH. Right. Which is going I suppose to if it wasn't acidic, it wouldn't be able to break down the enzymes and stuff, would it? Am I right in saying that? Yeah, so the, the pH of the stomach, I think, is between 1 and 2, which is very, very acidic. Right. Neutral is 7. By, by the time we get to the large intestine, it's between 5.8 and 6.5. Right. So a lot, a lot of this killing stuff happens really high up. So the stomach acid is this first acid bath where any invaders really should get killed off. Okay. Which is the reason why things like proton pump inhibitors will lower this, and then maybe there's knock-on effects because we're not as as well able to regulate the bacterial right. environment over there. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, is there anything we we still don't understand about this digestive system and the the gut, or do we do we pretty much are we pretty much on top of it all? <laughs> I don't think we ever will be. To be honest, I think I no. think I think I think like in, in terms of the the tissues in, in, in terms of what the stomach is doing in terms of what the small intestine is doing on a, on a physical level and how yeah. nutrients are absorbed. We've got a good understanding of that, but on the microbial level, you know, there's over a thousand different species we've got. And we we're only, when, we, when we do microbiome testing, we do stool testing, we're not looking for, you know, maybe looking for about 30 of them. Yeah, it's not, it's not it's not a huge amount, and and I don't think we'll ever really figure this out within my lifetime to a place where we can yeah. use the testing to really. I mean, maybe that's not true. I mean, there's interesting research around microbiome testing 
indicating how well somebody can regulate their blood sugar. So quite specific diets can be recommended off the back of, of that. Right. So regulating blood sugars can be very helpful for reducing it, things like diabetes, but also just other metabolic conditions, like heart disease, mm-hmm. also indicated in neurodegenerative, neurodegenerative conditions as well, like, like Alzheimer's. Right. So blood sugar regulation also is a really key area where the microbiome is going to come into, you know, come into, come into play. Yeah. So I didn't even but think also, of the link, link between that, Alzheimer's, and, and again, having the right bacteria and stuff in the gut. Yeah. Yeah, it's, it's, it's fascinating. Yeah. Um, we start to see changes in the digestive system before we start to see chi- changes in the brain as well. So that's... Wow. That's where a lot, a lot of it can, be, can begin. I suppose, um, like, my question whether there's still stuff you don't understand. I suppose if you think of all the... The millions and trillions of, of bacteria in your in your stomach line. You compare that to the amount of stars and galaxies. It's the same idea, and it we don't know anything. We don't know what's out there in the in the space in the galaxies. We have the same yeah. idea in the, the stomach, really. Yeah. I think I think for me that's that's why I'm, I'm. I guess I'm trying to manage my time with trying to find research that is clinically relevant. Mm-hmm. Like there's, there's a lot of. You know, I guess you can, you can say like, oh, it's, it's interesting knowing about this star, which is 50,000 miles away. Yeah. But I, I just need to know where I can fly to. <laughs> yeah. You've got to make it relevant. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So it's the same with the gut stuff. Like a lot of research is finding out about very specific bacteria. But the way we modulate those bacteria mm-hmm. may well be the same things we would do automatically. Right. Yeah. Yeah. The diverse diet, the really good quality sleep, moderate exercise. And we see there's a, there's a spectrum of exercise. Too much intense exercise actually starts to in, impact the gut in a negative way. Right. So there's, 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 a, there's definitely a sweet spot in the middle where we're wanting to have moderate movement in a medium intense, intensity exercise. We see that, yeah. see that people that do a lot of marathon running are increased risk of, of upper respiratory tract issues. Really? Because, because of the impact it starts having on the immune system right would that be because of a build-up of inflammation from doing too much exercise no uh, potentially right. um the increased cortisol as well is going to start dampening the immune response stop starts making the gut a little bit more leaky as well so, right. so it starts opening up these up these tight junctions a little mm-hmm. bit more i mean even with that in particular there was research using prebiotics in reducing the risk of upper respiratory tract issues as well yeah so do you recommend people take prebiotics i i I recommend prebiotics more than probiotics yeah i think i think i think both both are useful but in in this day and age i don't think we're getting enough through the diet Mm -hmm. the the research is is fairly clear how, how beneficial prebiotics are Right, okay. For, for overall health, you know, I think when we're talking about gut health, we're really talking about overall health. You yeah. know, how, how can we support ourselves from the from the inside out? Yeah, I suppose it goes back to making like you, your point before about making ourselves more resilient. If we can take those prebiotics, not just the gut resilient, but resilient in being being immune to colds, diseases, and all everything, and like you say, overall well being. Yeah. yeah. 
so, I mean, I guess one thing to point out with prebiotics as well, it's worth taking a standalone prebiotic. So I've seen a lot of supplement companies saying contains pro and prebiotics in their capsule. Right. But, but the amount in those capsules isn't enough to stimulate the growth of bacteria. Okay. So, so just take one, just take a prebiotic rather than a combination of both. Yeah, probiotic will come in a come in a um, a tub, maybe like a a fibre that will dissolve in water. All right. And generally, be looking to take around a tablespoon a day. Right. Okay. If, if someone has digestive issues, maybe bloating, constipation, diarrhea, you'd want to start with maybe yeah. a quarter of that because it can be quite aggravating for some people, depending on the type they're taking. Um. So yeah. Starting with a more therapeutic dose is, is important rather than just taking a very small amount that comes in a, a well-marketed probiotic supplement. Yeah, all right. So what about if you are experiencing, um, so if you eat a certain type of food or maybe you can't even identify the food, but after a meal, you do feel bloated, you, you have a hard stomach and it doesn't really sort of disappear after a few minutes. What, what sort of things can you can you advise people to do or could it, could it mean they've got some sort of immune, not immune, um, gut issue? Potentially. Yeah. So often one of the main causes of bloating is improper gas production or improper gas breakdown Right. with, with this fermentation process. We have certain bacteria that produce gas and then we want certain bacteria to break that gas down. So there's a little production line that goes on. Right. With, all, with the Western world, it starts to lead to lots of different imbalances. Emotional, biological. Yeah. So we can start to see some of these bacteria increasing, so we're getting more gas production, and some of these bacteria decreasing, so we're getting less, less, less gas removal. Right. So it's this rebalancing that can be very important. So prebiotics can actually be helpful in these conditions. So the prebiotics will feed specific groups of bacteria and they start releasing enzymes to break down antimicrobial compounds to start to, re, to rebalance. Yeah. Same with probiotics. You know, a, a decent, well-researched strain of probiotic is a, good, is a good thing to start with. And then also things like antimicrobial herbs. So things like oh, garlic, oh, oil right. of oregano. These can be natural. Quite, quite a nice way to start to rebalance yeah, yeah. the microbiome. They have to be, going back to the herbs, a lot of people, and I have loads of them in my cupboard, but like freeze-dried herbs, would it be better for them to be fresh? So a lot, a lot of these really would be more, more as a supplement, so something that's been a bit more concentrated. Okay, sorry, I understand, yeah. yeah. Gar- garlic cloves can be amazing if people can tolerate them. And often it's these, so I guess kind of almost contradicting myself when we're looking to really feed the gut we want a lot of prebiotics in garlic yeah. onions, beans lentils yeah if someone has digestive issues a lot of these foods can be really aggravating right. and we don't necessarily just want so so temporarily there's diets like the low fodmap diet which has pros and cons which is a diet that takes out a lot of these fermentable fibers mm-hmm. and then you can well, reintroduce them sequentially to see if there's a specific trigger that's right, causing okay. the bloat what's it called again sorry the what did you refer to the diet as uh, the low fodmap diet fodmap all right yeah and and really what i've stopped using this as much in clinic because it's still not really addressed it's a short-term measure it's not a permanent mm-hmm. diet for somebody to go on it's not 
you could get symptom free by just not eating anything. It's not, um, <laughs> it's not, which works short term, but you know, long term, it's not going to be, yeah, not, it's not going to be great. So that, that can be a good short term strategy. But then going back up, up to the top of the chain, you know, what's, are we relaxed when we're eating? Mm-hmm. You know, being being in, in the fight or flight part of the central nervous system. Yeah. Lower, lower stomach acid production. Yeah. This is where breathing practice is coming in, you know, abdominal breathing, making sure yeah. we're breathing from down from the belly rather from the shallow breaths. Are we chewing our food properly? I was going to ask you about that actually, um, in terms of how fast we eat and how much, um, how much chewing we do, how much are they important? Very, yeah, yeah. So we, I, think it was a, I think it was Gandhi who said you, we should drink our food. Drink our food, yeah. So you chew it that much that it becomes a, a liquid. Yeah, yeah. So, you know, 30 mouthfuls is something I would, so 30, 30 chews per mouthful would be a good yeah something just to be mindful of mm-hmm. and digestion is a process you know we we've got a, if we're putting stuff in the washing machine we want to do it right it's a whole we put the clothes in we put yeah. the detergent in and it does its thing chewing starts to stimulate stomach acid production it starts to in, influence the different digestive enzymes that are released further down as well yeah so it's, it's this sequence of events and we've got to start it off in the right way Mm-hmm. This this also comes back as well to the times we're eating. You know, leaving a good amount of time between food also has an impact. Right. You know, at least three hours between eating. Again, Western world always a reason to have a snack. Always you know something grab and go. Yeah. But then with the washing machine analogy, you know, it's like opening the door and chucking more stuff in halfway through a cycle. It never gets <laughs> a chance to reset. Yeah, I never thought of it like that. What about eating? Um, I know it's people on have done night shifts in the past. Um, people who are on night shift you, you've got to obviously eat through the night would that have a detrimental effect obviously it's your body's circadian rhythms it wants to be asleep doesn't necessarily want to be digesting food yeah exactly yeah it's trying to give our body what it's expecting at the right times of day yeah. so yeah shift work is a really tricky one to navigate i mean some people find trying to eat at the same time as if they're working shifts or not can be helpful you know if if, if your eating window is between 8 a.m and 10 well, eight and nine, eight and eight, even just using a 12 hour window, 8 a.m. to 8 p.m. Yeah. Sometimes people find it beneficial to have that cut off at eight and yeah. then almost go through the night just drinking water. Right, okay. Yeah. Again, that's not always possible, but it, it's, um, if we, we need to be sending the right signals. Again, our, our body doesn't know what's going on. We have to tell it what's going on. Yeah. And the way we do that is with sleep, with stress management. Yeah. with the type of food that we eat. I suppose it's even more important for anyone doing shift work. Everything else has got to be on point, hasn't it? So like your, your recovery, your rest. Yeah. Yeah. Your yeah, stress it's, levels, it's, everything. Yeah. Yeah. yeah it's, a, it's a really hard thing to, to battle against. You know, the, mm-hmm. it's, it starts to send everything out of, out of balance. Yeah. What about, I'm sorry for just keep throwing questions at you, but when we talk about something, something just pops in the head. How important is, um, or would fasting, because there's, there's quite a big rise in um, intermittent fasting, people doing fasts for, for days at a time. Is, is that something that could be beneficial for the, for the gut? So when we're thinking about leaving this nice time, I guess starting with 
leaving time between meals. What we've got is a, a house cleaner, house cleaner that comes in. Yeah. Um, and when we've not had food in the digestive tract for, for this time, we get this cleaner that comes in and it starts squeezing any junk out. It's this little peristalt squeezing mechanism and evolutionary we think it was there to get rid of any bits of stone or bone that we may have sort of ingested. Yeah. So this yeah. starts to really clean out the digestive system and, and almost help it reset. We also know that we lose about a third of the cells that lie in the gut lining every day. Oh, so right. just, just through the interaction of food rubbing up against it, a lot of this, a lot of this comes out in the stool. So this time away from food is really important for, for gut health, but for overall health as yeah. well. Um, eating within a time window is really important also. An 11-hour time window is, is a good thing to aim for, ideally finishing by 6 p.m. So then allow the rest of the time for this clean-up process to take place, yeah. Yeah, and we, and we start seeing almost like a rebalancing of the bacteria as well. Right. So there's lots, there's lots of other organisms that start to start to rebalance. Yeah, if we think about admit, that, I, I'm, I'm guilty of through training and only getting home late at night. Sometimes I'll only have like my evening meal at maybe like eight, nine o'clock at night. And that has a knock on effect, helping me sleep and stuff. Sometimes I'm still wide awake come midnight because I can't, I've still got a belly full of food. Yeah. yeah. The, the modern world's a bugger. <laughs> it's a real life thing, isn't it? Like we, we try and cram everything in. We want yeah. the evening meal to be family time. So we have the biggest meal of the day, but maybe the body's yeah. expecting the biggest meal of the day first thing. Yeah. You know, so it's, it's, um, it's, a, it's, it's a tricky thing to want to be in, be in the world and live it and enjoy it. Yeah. Without just trying to be super strict and do everything you do based on research and yeah. science. But there's, a, there's a tricky, tricky balance to be found there. So is fasting something, I know you, you can't say that you'd recommend it to everyone, but is fasting a good idea maybe for some people? Fast, it seems to be. Yeah, yeah. It's, 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 not, it's not an area that I've, I've delved into a huge a huge amount but um even when we're looking at these what we call the blue zones around the world the area the areas around the world where people have lived the longest yeah one, one of them is off the coast of of greece so when we think about the mediterranean diet it's this type of culture mm -hmm. really diverse diet yeah huge they're eating more colors than the colors in the rainbow each day so it's a really <laughs> really vibrant diet so in, in this community, they, um, they've got the most amount of people who are living over the age of 100. Within that, there's also other factors at play. You know, there's really good social interaction. Yeah. People have got a sense of purpose. Yeah. Good time, you know, time spent with nature. But in, interestingly, there's also, on the island, most of the people are Greek Orthodox, which in their religious calendar, they have the most amount of days of religious fasting. All right. And I think, I think this is really sort of signifying why we need to do a bit of each. You know, we can, we can calorie restrict, we can restrict certain food groups. You know, maybe it's the, it's the more refined carbohydrates. Yeah. Um, and there's definitely an interplay between the two. Yeah. A lot, a lot of interesting research around, you know, around fasting, around chemotherapy treatment as well. Oh, nice. How that increase how, how, both how well the treatment how the person responds to treatment but also re in reducing side effects as well yeah and obviously some of these things should really be done under 
supervision of a practitioner. Yeah, of course. Um, but our body is, is, is expecting times of feast and times of famine. Mm. And um, again, going back to another week for a lot of different reasons. Yeah. And getting comfortable with hunger can be quite a tricky thing to do. It's like, because of, like you said, the modern society, we've got drive-throughs that are open 24 hours. We can access food whenever we want it, can't we? Things that aren't necessarily supposed to be in season, we, we, can, always, we can always buy them. So maybe it is important that we um, think about, like, that. yeah, let's experience a bit of hunger maybe and not, as soon as we get these, these feelings, just grab the first thing in the fridge. And there's, there's always a reason to eat. You know, if we're sad, we can, we're, we're, we're quite creative, you know, if we're sad, we can, <laughs> if we're happy, we'll eat, if we're celebrating, you know, there's always, yeah, yeah, yeah definitely. <laughs> there's always something. So, uh, just, just pulling that into awareness is quite, it's quite an important thing, but fasting is quite tricky. You know, it's not, it's definitely not for everybody and depending on their state of health. Yeah, yeah of course. But in, in terms of how, beneficial is it seems to have a lot of consequences on what, uh, beneficial impact on what we call all-cause mortality mm-hmm. so when we talk about all-cause mortality it's about anything that anything that you might die of that isn't an accident so if something reduces all-cause mortality it reduces the risk of every disease essentially right, okay. so th- this is where things like fasting and and sauna use as well can yeah. be quite beneficial you know putting a good stress on the body and then the body reacts in a beneficial way. Mm-hmm. Um, and again, it's, fasting is almost like a house cleaning process. Yeah. You know, the, the yeah body I never goes, thought of it like that before. I never thought of that analogy, but it's, yeah, it's interesting that I like that. Yeah. yeah, like we brush our teeth every day, but we, we want this sort of cellular cleaning to be going on also. Yeah, interesting. Well, no, we've, uh, we've covered a lot, of, a lot of stuff there, but if we could just summarise um, like the top three or five things that people can do to maybe look after the, the gut health and the, the health just in general. And I mean, some of them will be completely obvious, but sometimes we need it actually to be spelled out with us. All right, I'm not getting enough sun. I'm not having less sugar. So could you just, just summarise maybe three to five points to help yeah. people better gut health? I mean, I think, I think really the, the first one isn't, the first few aren't even to do with food. You know, mm-hmm. it's really about trying to take care of yourself in every way possible. You know, yeah. I, I, th- I think if, if our actions are coming from that place of trying to look after ourselves, it can be quite a lot easier. Yeah. So self-compassion is the first, is the first thing. You know, mm-hmm. and, and wanting to look after ourselves in, in the best way. Yeah. Spending time outside, you know, re- reconnecting with nature, you know, yeah. amazing for stress relief. Moderate exercise is really good for bacterial diversity in the gut as well. Thirdly, is really getting a good variety of, of plant foods into the diet, aiming for that 40 different types of vegetables and fruits, mm-hmm. nuts, seeds, beans, pulses. Yeah. This isn't necessarily saying meat is bad. There's, um, or, 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 I'm definitely in favour of having animal products in the diet, but it depends on the context it's going into. And if right. we've got this really nice foundation of, of colours and fibres on the plate, a piece of meat is going into a different um, environment than a Big Mac would. Yeah. <laughs> so it's the context is important. So the 40 different plant foods a week and eating the, eating the different colours of the rainbow each day. 
and then limiting all the gut ruiners, you know, all the things that might have an impact on the gut. Right. So the, the sugars, sweets, the, the delicious chocolates, the high amounts of alcohol, small amounts of red wine seems to be beneficial for the gut. Yeah. All other what about, alcohol. Um, sorry, Martin, what about dark chocolates with a high content of cocoa? Is that any good? Yeah, yeah. So I think there was a study using about 15, 15 grams of like drink, like proper dark cacao and how yeah. that's going to have a beneficial impact. Right. As well as things like green tea, you know, in terms, in terms of liquids, fluids, those are going to start increasing the main beneficial bacteria we find in the gut. Mm-hmm. So I think, what's that, is that for? We've got... Yeah, go on, one more. <laughs> self-compassion, outside, ty- um, good variety of food. Um, cut out the bad stuff, yeah. Cut out the bad stuff, and 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 it, it really, I think it is, it is the, the the foundations, things like sleep. You know, yeah. We, we start we start seeing increased, um, reduced diversity, and if 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 somebody is maybe having a, a less beneficial diet, that might not be so bad if they're sleeping yeah, really yeah. well. But as soon as the sleep goes out, the potential imbalances, it just, it just adds more fuel to the fire, essentially. Yeah. The game changer for me was, uh, I don't know if you've watched it, or you've, you, you're probably aware of the guy anyway, but um, on Joe Rogan, there was a, um, a sleep expert, expert called something, what, I can't remember his first name, but his surname was Walker. And, um, yeah, Matthew Walker. Is it? Matthew Walker, that's it, yeah. yeah. And uh, a whole three hours talking about sleep and some of the, some of the things that they were talking about was unbelievable, all just affected by either lack of sleep or daytime saving hours. Unbelievable. That was amazing. The 25% alteration in heart attack. Yeah, when the clocks go yeah. back. Yeah. Yeah, it's amazing. yeah. Unbelievable. And then the improvement or the, the drop when the clocks go back forward. So when people get an extra hour, the reverse effect happened. It was, it was unbelievable. Yeah. I think, I think that's another sort of toxic thing about, the modern world is that we can sometimes wear these things as a badge of honor. Yeah. Like, I'm, I'm so stressed. I've got so much to do. I, know. I can get, I can get by on five hours sleep. I know. You know, it's, it's, I, read it's a book, a, um, I was reading recently a book called essentialism and um, they were talking about high achievers and high performers. We, we regularly assume, or we did do um, that the stigma was that the, they don't sleep, they only sleep for two hours a night because they're all high productivity. Whereas in reality, actually, the Jeff Bezoses, the Zuckerbergs of the world, actually do manage to get like twelve hours sleep and a nap as well somewhere in the day. Yeah. yeah. So all these modern modern myths of people doing all nighters to be productive and try and make money—it's actually not the reality. Yeah. yeah, exactly. Yeah, it's um, it's a hard thing to fight against. No, if, yeah. if, if we've got if we've got this this thing inbuilt into society of of, of sleep, of laptops, of blue light exposure all the time no it's it's these are all things that can stop imbalancing the gut as well yeah so even though we've been talking about the gut directly you know setting that really firm foundation with all these <coughs> other environmental factors as well is, is so is so important yeah um so just before you you go martin have you got any um book recommendations for us it doesn't necessarily have to be on guts or health anything interesting that you're reading at the moment or something that really um, struck a chord with you i read i had got a really good audio book about the manson murders this is on joe rogan as well i'm not sure if you listen to this I've not it, to it, that, no. no it's it's um a different take on 
not a different take. It's um, a journalist who has researched the Charles Manson murders for I think about 15, 20 years. Right. And how Charles Manson may have, what was already known to the, the FBI and potentially used in some sort of. Um, I think I've heard him talk about that actually. Yeah, he was uh, he was known to the CIA in that one, but they just let him crack on and do what he wanted. Yeah, yeah, and it kind of talks a little bit, a bit about these um, mind alteration experiments they were doing with LSD in the sixties. Right. Trying to like you know break, almost like brainwashing experiments and things. Anyway, fascinating stuff. Really, yeah, kind yeah. of just. I think for so much of the time I've got my head buried in a, like clinical work i just like to go off and yeah it's like, you, like we talked about before you if you you've got to have a break haven't you and a rest and recuperate and whether that means totally switching off from one thing and listening to something completely different that's going to benefit and, and help as well isn't it yeah massively yeah 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 so it's, it's about it's about balance definitely yeah um and just before we go martin where can people get in contact with you or where can they be access to you if they want any more information or any help with any issues they've got going on? Yeah, so my, my website's martincohennutrition.co.uk. So there's, there's lots of articles on there about gut-related things. Um, you can also book a free call with me. If you're having any digestive issues, happy to have a, have a chat, see how we can get you feeling a bit Brilliant. better. I'm also on Instagram, Martin mm-hmm. Nutrition. So I try and post reasonably regularly with recipes, gut stuff, um, pictures of fields etc <laughs> <laughs> so yeah just all, all, all those sorts of things yeah cool. brilliant well that was really interesting that was fascinating i appreciate the time talking to us but uh yeah brilliant stuff great yeah thanks thanks for having me yeah it's always um it's always good to tr- there's there's so many questions that can pop up as well so just try yeah. and try i apologize and... for just throwing no, things no, no, at no, you when they, when they appeared <laughs> no no that's no, good i really enjoyed it thanks for having me on no, no worries, Martin. Thanks very much, mate. All right, take care. Cheers, take care. Thank you. Bye-bye.